Hi, uh, welcome to the Intelligent Adventist Podcast. This is Mike and Adrian, and today we're going to be doing a verse-by-verse analysis of the Book of Romans. Uh, we will begin by reading the first six verses in sequence, and then we'll come back and discuss each line individually. So I'm reading from Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship from obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's start off with verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Yeah, what's interesting to me in this uh, text that you just read is that it's really one line, if you look at it. And what it is, is a series of clauses as we read through. So just starting with the first clause, which is his own name, he just says Paul. Mm-hmm. So let's think about that. Like um, Paul's history is that first he was called Saul, and for the most of his life until he met Christ, he was dedicated uh, to studying Scripture and understanding Scripture and the law, which is derived from Scripture for the Jewish life. And he essentially was a very learned man, and he... Uh, reached the pinnacle of his experience right around the time that the Christian church was starting. So we do not know if he ever saw Jesus in action face-to-face. It's highly likely that he may have, who knows, but uh, the Bible doesn't say that, so we can't really go by it. However, um, we do know from other parts of Scripture um, that he studied under uh, Gamaliel. Gamaliel, Gamaliel, yeah. And um, that that teacher was one of the most respected teachers uh, of uh, Paul's time and who also actually had a live and let live policy regarding uh, the, the new Christian church, which Paul did not share. Yeah. So, um, but Paul's name in and of itself, given the fact that he, he had a different name and then he met Jesus and then he took on this new name and that's what we know him by, uh, signifies a, a change of experience yeah. for him. Yeah, and it seems to be significant because, um, you know, th- we, we see in the New Testament um, a lot of Jewish Christians who looked at Christianity as sort of an upgrade on Judaism. So essentially, you know, they're, they have their Jewish understanding of things and then they add to that, they tack on the Christian elements. But Paul seems to have kind of just completely gotten rid of the old and started something completely new to the point where he even changed his own name mm. as, a, as a sign that this, this is a whole different thing in his life, a whole different direction. And uh, for the rest of his ministry, he seems to be struggling or wrestling with other Jewish people to teach him that, to teach him the fact that hey, this is not just an addendum to the Jewish faith. It's much deeper than that. It's a whole different way of thinking. Yeah, And it's not because the Jewish faith in itself would have been something different in, in the sense that if, if we had followed the Old Testament, if the Jews had followed the Old Testament, 
it would have been a, a continuation, but they had kind of veered in a different direction. Yeah. And he was pulling them back. Yeah. So in his conversion experience, which we obviously it's not in this text per se, but uh, he gives um, or the view of his conversion is given in, in Acts. And then he gives uh, he, a fuller context to it in several passages, especially uh, one in Galatians that mm-hmm. I can remember. But what he what happens is he's going to persecute Christians in Damascus. He's already done that in Jerusalem. He's got letters uh, for arrest, arrest warrants or whatever, or permission to conduct his activities in Damascus. And he's going there and he uh, has an experience which has come to now define uh, a radical shift in thinking for anybody. So almost anyone talks about their road to Damascus. Yeah. It, you know, it just has become the syn- synonym for the, the Google of uh, yeah, exactly uh, of conversion. Conversion, yeah. yeah. So it's become a verb, right? Mm-hmm. So the road to Damascus. He he's on that road. He meets uh, Jesus, and in a few sentences, Jesus completely upends his whole reason for being, and makes him realize that not only has he conquered death, but all of Scripture uh, points to him. So. Paul go, uh, is blind for a little bit, for three days. In those three days, he goes through his mind all the prophecies because he's pretty much memorized scripture inside and out. And he realizes that all of that stuff points to Jesus. So what took the disciples three years takes him three days. And he completely turns around. And then, of course, there's that beautiful story of uh, Ananias who is called to restore him to sight. And it's almost like, you know, going and and uh, releasing uh, the, a black the, uh, mamba yeah. or a lion, <laughs> you know, uh, out of the cage. Mm-hmm. Because uh, the very first thing that that thing is going to do is do what's natural to it. Mm-hmm. And Ananias was thought that this was a death mission. And why should he do this? He actually asked the Lord. And the Lord said, no, I have called him personally to be my champion for the Gentiles. Um. While you were talking, I was thinking about opening a can of worms that we probably won't be able to address till later. But um, for anybody that has kind of followed our our, um, thought processes over the years, um, we talk sometimes about the concept of prima scriptura in the sense that uh, a lot of Christians um, place the Bible at the top, but then they say that experience tradition and I always forget culture. one or the other one's culture, yeah, or some, some other third element becomes the uh, kind of the collective uh, thought process of just deciphering what the Bible teaches, deciphering theology, and so on. And we always say, no, it has to be the Bible only. All these other elements have kind of a different part to play than it's normally assigned to them. But here we have a story where experience is the key. Yeah. So how do we answer that? And we, I don't know, I don't want to start yeah. the whole discussion now, but it's something that we need to think about because uh, if it is Sola Scriptura, well, Paul had been studying the Bible his whole life, the Old Testament, which is the only mm. scripture they had, and somehow he has one experience, and this experience takes precedent over his entire study of scripture. Yeah. Now, but I think yeah. it, it, I think it, um, it's possible to study scripture scientifically as, as literature yeah. or even even uh, devotionally, as Paul studied it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible to do that. But uh, what we do need to understand is that Scripture can uh, is comprehended not only with reason alone, but actually through the action of the Holy Spirit. 
And what Paul needed was that experience. And Christ needed to turn him around. And even even if, um, and this will become very clear as we go through, as we discuss Romans uh, further, but uh, the Christian experience cannot exist without a meeting, a personal meeting with Christ. Yeah. So there is that personal element. There has to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, salvation has always been personal um, with Adam and Eve. So since Adam and Eve. And so here <coughs> we have this... Uh, uh, this this man who uh, is who meets Jesus, he realizes that Jesus is alive. He's conquered death. He goes back to Scripture, realizes that all of Scripture points to Christ. He's convinced. He makes a hundred eighty degree turnaround, and he goes back and begins preaching in the synagogues as soon as he receives a sight, mm-hmm. which for anybody today or back in that day, it would have been marvelous to see Mm -hmm. because here's a man who absolutely was convinced the other way he turns around and realizes that he was wrong and his conversion is is a hundred percent so and it's and it's also um this this will come up later in romans but it's also demonstrated by action yeah so okay yeah and it's it's interesting because in history uh, these are these are the exceptions rather than the rule. I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's times when people have an impressive conversion experience, but it's seldom that you see somebody that's so uh, determined against something that completely turns around and becomes uh, the the best promoter of Christianity and, and all this. So. Yeah, yeah, and and part of uh, part of the thing that that makes Paul so compelling is his intellect and his education and his training. Mm-hmm. So. He was ex- exceptionally gifted after Christ yeah. in his uh, in his ability to expound the the principles of the gospel. It's not that the others were deficient; it's just that um, he was exceptionally gifted, and that's one of the reasons why he uh, was chosen to to deliver more than half the the, the New Testament yeah. as it is. Yeah, there's that aspect, and I would say there's also this aspect because you know the when Paul describes his previous experience. He talks about his Phariseeism and how he excelled in, in, in that. He he was uh, he went beyond any of his brothers in, in following the laws and all this stuff. But somehow within this whole process he he it, when he when he met Christ, it finally clicked to him how, how bankrupt the whole system of salvation by works was. And that is something that we can kind of relate to because you know like for example luther he had something similar he he went through this whole experience of trying to to earn back his his salvation somehow by beating himself by fasting by all this stuff so it seems like um sometimes the people that try the hardest to save themselves and fail or or you know they they go through this experience sometimes can really appreciate once they understand the gospel, why why it's so such a powerful thing? Yeah, yeah. So Paul starts out his experience. He's converted. He preaches for a little bit. He goes to Jerusalem, preaches over there. Then he has to flee. He goes into Arabia for three years. He doubtless reads scripture all over again, and understands it thoroughly. Comes back, meets with people again, stirs up uh, problems against himself, and then he goes to Tarsus or Antioch. And he ends up um, pastoring or, or starting up a church over there for seven years. 
So this time period takes him 10 years of his life, yeah. of the 26 years that he was in ministry, so before his death. So it's, it's amazing to me how even though Paul had so much to share with the world, and uh, he definitely was the greatest champion that the church has ever had, he still took, God took 10 years for him to develop a practical experience uh, to augment his great learning and then he was able to um, take that and share it with, with people for the last uh, 16 years of uh, his life. Yeah. Much, of which, much of which was in prison. So a lot of it had to be done through writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that applies to there as well, especially <clears throat> sometimes I think about the fact that, you know, the early Christians they they were building on top of the Jewish faith and then they had to deal with, with the pagan world uh, they had their own ideas and they essentially just had to find a way to translate their message to the pagans today, 2,000 years later we're dealing with 2,000 years of Christian history that has mostly entangled the Christian message to the point where it's extremely hard to untangle even for experts to, to really figure out what part is correct, what part is wrong, how things got, got into a mess. So I think even today and even within our church, it takes it takes a considerable amount of time for somebody to be able to sort through all these things and, and kind of make sense of where things are at before they're ready to, to take on positions of responsibility. But our process doesn't work that way. Yeah. We essentially put people into positions based on just straight education. You know, they just go yeah. get their degrees. It's often not any of these things. Or charismatic experience. Or Yeah, exactly. So someone has a conversion, they go to a Bible school, and then from there they go into ministry. Yeah, and they go from and place to place and yeah. they share their stuff, but they don't have the years and years of sorting through all these elements that have been, have been tangled up by centuries of people taking Christianity in every possible direction. Yeah. So I think uh, for us to be effective today, what we're saying is, we need to first, we need to have a, a connection with Jesus Christ, so a personal meeting with Jesus. After that, we need to understand the principles of interpreting Scripture, and then we go to Scripture. We work through Scripture. We understand Scripture's narrative. We understand what Scripture is trying to teach. Uh, we understand salvation history. And then what we need to also understand is the context in which we live. So there's a secular context which most of us are familiar with, our regular jobs and lives and things like that and how everything works. But then there's also the Christian context and the fact that there's a long history, 2,000 years of history, where uh, the Christian church or the larger Christian church has uh, been thinking about these things and developing their theologies. Mm -hmm. And so understanding the impact of those individuals on the thought process of Christians is also important as we... Uh, begin to relate our faith with other people of other faiths, even if they are Christians or not, uh, a lot of them have been impacted by various frameworks within Christianity. Yeah. So, and, and their view of Christianity and their view of Scripture is colored by that. And so we need to understand those differences. So anyway, going on. Uh, he says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, for us, uh, it's a little bit uh, hard to imagine what a servant is. We kind of understand it philosophically, but we don't understand it experientially because we don't own servants. But I happen to be coming from a country where 
um, you could even now have servants. So I grew up in a house with servants. And um, it's uh, like when Paul talks later on, he'll talk about the law being a, uh, you know, a schoolmaster, you know, bringing us to Christ and things like that um, in, in, in various uh, epistles of his. But for me, I grew up with servants that not only uh, cooked and cleaned the house, but also uh, helped me raise, helped my parents raise me. So, um, so after I grew, you know, uh, as I was growing up, uh, I learned to take on some of those characteristics of uh, ordering people around, you know, mm-hmm. because I saw my parents do that. So it's very easy to order a servant to go bring water for you and then they bring it, you know. But it's uh, very different um, for us to imagine that today where we can just order someone and they go and they come and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. But what... Paul is talking about here is precisely that. He's talking about the fact that he is a servant of Christ. In other places, he calls himself a slave. Mm-hmm. But he is a servant of Christ in which he is, you know, called and sent by, by Christ himself. Yeah. yeah. What a way to introduce yourself. The, the first thing he wants people to know about him, my name is Paul and I'm a yeah. servant. Exactly. Which would probably turn off some people that actually do, you know, push people around or have servants that they, they send around for yeah. their bidding. Yeah. But Paul doesn't care. I mean, he's exactly he's unapologetically, you know, the servant of Christ. And then he goes on. The next clause says that it says uh, called to be an apostle. So this is a, a very specific term that he uses here. And in this in this context, there were very few people who were called directly by Christ, who had a direct connection to Christ. And so those people were known as apostles. And then there were other uh, people who were leaders in the church. And Paul helped to uh, build that structure of, of the church, and which we can discuss later. But here he's saying that he was called to be an apostle, and it has a certain connotation. So people immediately know that Paul is just like Peter or James or John or anybody else that they have uh, encountered in the Christian experience. And uh, although those guys spent more time physically with Jesus, Paul also had a direct calling from Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, it, it's, you know, we, um, we don't think about this a lot, but, you know, th- this past few weeks I was kind of reasoning through the question of why it is that the New Testament finishes uh, so early in the, in the Christian era. You know, why don't we keep having prophets? the way we did before Christ to continue to come generations after Christ and continue to add to the Bible. And I think one of the key reasons for that is uh, there was something special about the revelation of, of God in the flesh, of Jesus being there, living with the apostles, you know, being in their midst day in and day out, you know, his, his own family watching him for, for 30 years. Um, and I think this gave them the, the capacity to, to kind of oversee the process of completing the revelation of scripture after which you just couldn't trust for sure that somebody coming down the line 100, 200 years later uh, to put them on the same level with everything that had come before that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Paul was included in that group and, and he was in the context of the other apostles. So Paul didn't write on his own. 
Uh, I have a friend these days that is uh, has abandoned Paul. Like he's he's a Christian that doesn't believe in Paul, mm -hmm. so he takes the rest of the New Testament. But Paul existed. He did his ministry in the midst of all the other apostles who endorsed his ministry. Yeah, so yeah. So that endorsement is something that that follows uh, the Old Testament tradition as well. So in uh, the canonical tradition, what we have is writers that come after others, they endorse the, the calling of those that came before them. And by name and uh, by citing their works and things like that in what we call scripture today. Yeah. And so in doing so, they uh, um, like uh, add to their calling or they make their calling sure, or however you want to say it, like they, they confirm the calling. Yeah. And so in, in this way, uh, Paul himself was also confirmed in his calling when Peter later wrote in his life that, that Paul says and writes things that are, you know, that are hard for us to understand. But, but essentially, you know, he is uh, called of God as well. Yeah. And so that, th those were things that um, were, could not have been possible uh, except, like you said, with people who had had a, a direct connection with Jesus every day. And I was thinking about this uh, this morning about what it would have been like to live with Jesus day in and day out. Like, imagine like spending eighteen hours of your day just with Jesus and doing nothing but walking up and down uh, the streets of uh, Palestine, and uh, and Jesus just I, I bet Jesus started out with Genesis one one or Genesis in those days because there was no yeah. verse uh, yeah. division. We started with Genesis and he went all the way through till uh, till the end and. It would have just been Jesus quoting a text and then asking them what they think about it, and then they they tell him, and then he expounds more on on what he had connected uh, regarding the text, and then they would go to the next one, the next one, the next one. Imagine just doing that day in and day out, in the personal interactions, and then Jesus would take a break from that to talk to the multitudes, heal people, and yep. do all the other things that we know of that he did. But imagine day in and day out, that's all you're doing. That would just be, have been a tremendous experience. Yeah. And, and it's unparalleled because, I mean, we, we have access to snippets of the teaching, the public teachings of Jesus or the even private sayings where Jesus pulls the disciples aside and says, hey, what did you think of this or how do you see that? But that's just the, you know, that's just the teaching part, but just the everyday life. I mean, you know, how did Jesus behave uh, you know, when he was hungry, how did he behave when it, they were tired after a long day and they were trying to wind down for, for you know, get some rest? Uh, when people antagonized him in different situations, that, that's not something that you can even relate to others, but it gives you a sense of the character of Christ, which reflects the character of God yeah. in a way that you cannot really pass on to somebody else. Uh, yeah. I mean, except through your own living experience. Exactly. You know, maybe the people that see how you are after you spend so much time in, in Jesus's presence. Yeah. So in in that in that regard, when we when we look at um, when we look at the, uh, the the personal experience that they had, we also see the refinement in their character. So uh, people like Peter, James, and John they refine their characters over uh, their experience with Jesus, and then through the decades afterwards, and they became uh, the the type of people that exemplify Christ. And Paul was definitely counted among them. So anyway, let's just uh, uh, go on as soon as we can. Uh, we've got another 10 minutes or so. Um, so it says, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, in this case as well, Paul makes, a, makes quite a big deal that he's, he's called to be an apostle, and he's set apart precisely 
to enunciate the gospel of God. And this he builds uh, in, a, in a succession of clauses, which I'll read as, as we go. It says, which he, which is God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So what Paul is doing here is he's bringing people back into the Old Testament and he's helping them remember all the prophecies of the Messiah that point to Jesus. And so he's hearkening back to that stuff. He's bringing his readers back into the Old Testament. And a lot of people forget that. A lot of people in, the, in today's Christian context, they kind of discard the Old Testament. But they forget to realize that the New Testament is actually a commentary on the actual narrative, yeah. right? And of which Jesus is the, the, the super narrative, but it still is the, the context that, that brings Jesus to life. Uh, in in the Bible, and so in this he says that um, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So you have to understand prophecy. You have to understand the principles of interpreting prophecy, and you also have to understand the timing of prophecy for Jesus. So a lot of Jews in in Paul's day were looking for the Messiah. They understood the Messiah was supposed to appear from their reading of Daniel and their reading of other uh, scriptures. And so they were looking for someone, they just rejected Jesus. and But some did accept Jesus as, as the Messiah, and Paul is talking about that, and he's saying, hey, remember the, the prophecies which uh, Jesus was promised. So then he goes on to say, concerning his son, who was descended from David, so here he's he's tying him to the royal line, yeah. according to the flesh. Now this is a, an interesting phrase here, according to the flesh. Because later on in Christian history, there would be a doubt as to whether or not Jesus came in the flesh, whether or not he really was human. So um, here Paul, through the uh, grace of the Holy Spirit, uh, eliminates that argument before it even begins. But unfortunately, it persisted and still persists to this day in some circles. So concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God, this, he's uh, remembering uh, some of the, the places where God actually declared him to be the Son of God. Um, in power, according to the Spirit of Holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here, Paul is tying both the Old Testament, the prophecies, he's tying the declarations of God himself, and he's tying it to the greatest act of the resurrection where Jesus rose again from the dead. And to Paul, this is ultimately the, the greatest clincher in his day, yeah. because to him, you have a person who has died the ultimate death that is possible. There's no coming back from crucifixion. No one comes back from crucifixion. But here you have someone that actually did. And he talked to him. I mean, Paul actually talked to him. And then it, uh, Paul goes on to say that um, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of the faith for his for the sake of his name among all nations. So now he's bringing it back to himself and to the, uh, to the other team of apostles. And he's saying that we have received the grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And this is a phrase, obedience of faith or obedience to the faith, that will repeat in this, in this uh, uh, epistle quite a bit. So there is a certain reason for why he's saying this. Um, but eventually he's he's basically saying that this is the purpose of his apostleship. Mm-hmm. So they are calling people back to obedience uh, of the faith. 
um, for, his, for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So now he's bringing it to the very personal uh, micro context of the Romans or the Jews in, uh, in Rome and the Jewish Christians in Rome, and he's just saying, you are also called. Just like we were called, you were called. And so there, uh, the, just as we are called by Jesus and we are servants of Christ, our calling makes it so that um, there's some reasons for why we have to do certain things. Yeah. We're called, and so we do those things for that reason. And in the same way you are called, and so you do those things as well yeah. because you're called. So he makes a complete circle. He starts with the scriptures, yeah. through the prophets, all the way to Jesus, <clears throat> and then to their apostleship, and then to all the people that they, they're reaching uh, with the gospel. Yeah. And then he says, to, those, to all those in Rome who are loved of God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he brings it full circle into a greeting, and then he just says that all of you that are called, uh, grace to you, and uh, peace from God. So this is uh, this this is the opening of the of uh, the opening line. Yeah, <laughs> really. The opening sentence. The opening sentence uh, <laughs> that that we've taken almost uh, thirty minutes. Thirty minutes to yeah. talk about. Yeah, and I think we've left quite a bit out, even even still. Yeah, but uh, this is the essence of uh, this, uh, the opening of this uh, chapter. And we look forward to continuing more as we have time and uh, continuing through the Book of Romans with you.